Good morning. Good morning. How are you all doing on this fine Sunday morning? Blessed. Good. Um, so, just a couple announcements for you, quick. Today, immediately following service in the cafeteria, we will be having a brief, informative VBS meeting. Um, we are a little behind the ball game, but that's okay. We will pull it together because I know we can. Um, so, if you are interested in a teaching, b just helping ed, what is that called? Administrate? Is that a word? Yeah, yeah, that's I've been out of school a while. Help administrate, help provide food, or help with um, anything, basically. Uh, we'll be meeting in the cafeteria immediately following service. Um, team leaders reminder, there is a team leader meeting next Sunday following a brief intermission after, <laughs> after service. Um, and I think, anything else going on? Yeah, fruit boxes. Fruit boxes. boxes. There's food boxes. If you need a food box in, uh, there, in the cafe, yes. there, in the cafeteria, you can take it home or you can take one to give to someone else. And they are available in the cafeteria. All right. So without any further ado, Mr. Michael, we open us up in prayer. Well, God, well, thank you for the time. I was going to get a work of you. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for the warm weather. Thank you for freedom. Yes. Uh, thank you for sending your son to pave that way for us that yes. we may have life. As you give us about our service, we worship, and we dig in your word. Yes.
nervous. We are going to be doing our inspirational moment now. A little split up just a little bit differently today.
believe it's the same one that is in your bulletin this morning. Galatians 5.13 says, and in this column of my Bible, and I know we don't always pay much attention to the headings that is in our Bible because that is man-made, that is not God-made, or that is not God-made, it is man-made. But mine does say, it's the beginning in Galatians 5, it says freedom of the Christian. And in Galatians 5.13 it says, for you are called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. So, friends, we do live in what many people may not disagree, but I believe to be the best country in the world. Because we do have the freedom. We have the freedom to choose. We have the freedom of what religion we want to practice. We have the freedom to um, follow our dreams. We are not dictated to where we need to go and where what we need to do. Um, we have that freedom. And uh, our country, um, you know, they left, they left Great Britain for many reasons. One of them was for religious persecution because they wanted the freedom to serve their God. And so today, uh, those freedoms, they are protected, they were, they were fought for and they're protected by the wonderful men and women who put it all on the line uh, to go and to serve, whether that was stateside or abroad, and uh, so that we can continue to have those freedoms uh, to, do, to do those things, to seek out what we need to seek, what we want to seek out. Um, and one of those things, friends, is religion. We have the freedom to serve our God. We have the freedom to serve a great God, a mighty God, that right. so many people in other countries, they have to hide, they have to hide their service. And I think it's kind of fun that while we're focusing on service, that it happened to cross Independence Day. Because, like it says, um, for you are called to be free, but don't use this opportunity to serve yourself, but to serve one another in love. Amen. And because I think... Come on now. That one of the greatest, uh, think about it, the, what greater love is this than a man would, how does, I don't know how that one goes. Lay down, lay down his life for his friend. And that, that my friends, that's, that's how, you know, think about it. I, America, the beautiful America of the we sing, we have that freedom to serve. We have that freedom to serve our God. We have that freedom to serve each other. We have that freedom to serve our brothers and sisters who don't want to be served. But all of that is because of God and the, the, the what is that called? The, um, the abilities he's given us, the uh, gifts he's given us so that we can serve, um, that he can put that drive in our hearts to go out and serve, to go out and serve our country, to go out and serve our church, to go out and serve our community. And friends... I don't. I can't say this enough, but if we were living in any other country, do you think we would have the abilities to do the things that we are doing today? I do not think so. So just keep that in mind. And I know that uh, today, and I read this on online. It says um, once a year we celebrate the independence of America, but every Sunday, and it really should be every day that we can celebrate our independence with God. 
because, you know, I'm, I'm just going to stop it because I'll just muddy it down. So with, um, we have one more kind of patriotic song um, that we're going to sing together. But before we do, Tony Tate, could you say a special prayer, a special blessing on this country um, and on our, our freedoms that we have been given by God and fought for?
I've shared with you a couple of times a part of my testimony where when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, I was a pretty good scammer. I would tend to kind of just say the right thing, maybe trick people, manipulate people into behaving certain ways around me. Um, I didn't go out of my way. I didn't, I didn't really interact with strangers unless I absolutely had to, but when it came to friends, family, people I'd known from school, where I worked, etc., I knew just the right thing to say to get people to behave a certain way. I, I learned from that, from my own kind of creativity, that there are a lot of people in the world and there are a lot of scams in the world that people have created. When I was at Pizza Hut, um, so I was a young Christian, maybe a couple years, maybe I was about 28 years old, something like that, and I was moving into management at Pizza Hut, I'd become a shift manager. So I was making a decent hourly wage and then I was driving, taking deliveries too. So I, when I drove and take deliveries, I made really good money because I had tips and reimbursement and then my hourly wage which wasn't reduced because I was a manager. And so we were just getting on our feet. We were starting to be fairly successful, and I was a young Christian, as I said at the time, and I received a phone call during the dinner rush, and it was a busy time. It was about 5, 36 o'clock, and we were rocking out the house. The tickets were starting to pile up on the floor, making pizzas like crazy, and drivers running out the door, taking five, five six deliveries at a time, 10, 15 drivers we had on shift, and it was crazy. And the person called me, and they said, uh, do you use... Uh, these certain kind of light bulbs in your restaurant. And they were the fluorescent light bulbs and because my manager had delegated to me the job of buying light bulbs in the restaurant. I knew that they were the kind of light bulbs that we used in our restaurant. And they said, we want to send you a free box of our light bulbs just to get you to try our brand of light bulbs. And I thought, well, now this sounds like a really good deal. And my boss will be happy because I got a free box of light bulbs. And she said, and on top of that, we are going to send you a mag light. It's, a, it's a, about a 20-inch long flashlight, uh, crenellated on the edge, takes four or five D batteries. And she said, they'll last for like uh, 10 hours, lit up, bright as can be. And she said, we're going to send you that. And then on top of that, we're going to invite you to come and stay overnight one night at our um, resort that we have in Florida. And uh, you do have to provide your own transportation, but you get a free, free tickets to come down there. And then on top of that, we're going to give you dinner at a local restaurant, 25 bucks to spend at a local restaurant. I thought, man, this is the best box of light bulbs I ever heard of. This is awesome. And besides, it's the right kind of light bulbs, right? And then she said... Um, so all I really need is an authorization from you going forward to send light bulbs to your store, to mail them to your address. She said, if you give me permission as the manager of, of that restaurant, as a manager employed there, that I can send you light bulbs, then I will do that. And you'll get all this stuff when the first box comes. But I heard her say, when the first box comes, because I listen to people when they talk, especially when, I, when you're recovering from being a scammer yourself, you realize that there's a lot out there. And I heard her say, when the first box comes. And I said, okay, so after the first box comes, how much are they per box? And she said, well, there's 24 in a box, and so you get your first box, and then you get your second box about a month later. And I'm thinking to myself, well, first of all, there's only about 40 in the restaurant, and they don't blow that often, so already we got a problem here. We're going to get a box of bulbs every month. And she would not tell me how much the boxes cost after the first box. She was really kind of wrapping around the topic. Every time I asked her, I said, listen to me, I am not going to approve you sending me anything until I know how much the rest of the light bulbs cost. And she said, well, you know, eventually she gave up and she finally said, well, they're three sixty dollars a box. And I'm thinking to myself, $3.60? No, that can't be right. That's not right because I bought these bulbs before. They're about two bucks, three bucks a piece, so that can't be right. And it dawned on me that she meant $360 a box. And I said, no, thank you. 
And she said, well, we'll send you, you're going to get all this stuff. And then she wanted to throw in something else. And I'm like, just stop right there. First of all, I'm busy. Secondly, I don't need any light bulbs. Thirdly, I'm not authorizing you. And I said, I want you to be completely clear if this is a recorded call. I am not authorizing you to send me anything. Click. Later that month, about two weeks later, in a management meeting with all the shift managers and a couple of managers in training and uh, being led by my area manager, found out that seven restaurants in the city of Toledo had agreed for them to send the light bulbs and that that, ver that was a verbal contract. And so that they were buying light bulbs, one box of roughly 24 light bulbs per month at $360 per box for the remainder of the year. Because seven other people didn't hear the phrase the first box or whatever that particular, because it probably was a different person that called each one, I don't know, whatever they used. There are a lot of scams in the world. Free condo trips mean you have to sit through an eight-hour long presentation for them to try to send you a condo. You get to be in Florida for the time. They might even fly you there, but you have to sit there for eight hours where they literally browbeat you and try to get you to rent or buy a condo. People will tell you that you deserve it. Listen, you should have a new car. You should have a bigger TV. You, you, have, you work hard for your money, don't you? And they'll tell you that you deserve it. And so you should because you deserve it. They will tell you that you need it. You need to lose weight. You need to grow hair. You need to be able to do more sit-ups. You need to reduce the size of your abdomen. You need to uh, not have pain in your feet when you walk. You need to spend more time with your family at our theater. The list just goes on and on and on, and they will tell you you need it. And maybe in some strange way, when it comes to your desires and what you seek, what you desire physically, your body does need it. They will tell you that you can afford it. When I was at Radio Shack uh, as a salesman, which I was, it was my second job, at, it was in between Kroger's and Pizza Hut, I was at Radio Shack as a salesman. When they would say, I can't afford it, we would say, we can, put, we can give you a free financing, 90 days, same as cash. It's basically free. And then after that, you'll only have to pay $18 a month. Surely you can afford $18 a month for this new stereo. And besides, you deserve it. You work hard for your money. That's what we were trained to do. I couldn't quite bring myself to do it. And so after a couple, two and a half years there, I couldn't, I couldn't quite push beyond those objections. And so my sales dropped off. And I moved on to selling pizzas instead of selling electronics. Say again? Which is a lot easier. It is, because people like pizza. Yeah. Um, people like electronics, too. They just don't like the price tags that come with them. But they need it, deserve it, and they can get it on financing. There are a lot of scams in the world, and it's time we, we kind of figured out how to choose between sustenance and setup. So there's a particular event that took place in the life of David. There's a man named Doag. He was actually an Edomite, not even a Jerusalemite or a Jew of any kind. Uh, he wasn't really closely related to David, but he was there and saw an episode where David was assisted by the, the priest Ahimelech. And basically Ahimelech gave David uh, Goliath's sword. Remember that guy, Goliath, that David killed when he was young? Well, that sword had been kind of kept in storage. And when David didn't have a sword, he gave him Goliath's sword, which I think was pretty much his right. You know, I mean, like we know, if you kill the enemy, then you kind of get the spoils. I think that was pretty much his right. And so he gave him that. And he also fed him, and he kind of blessed him. And Doeg was present enough to know that that had happened. And so Doeg went and told Saul where David was at, what he was up to, what was happening, and so on. And um, Saul calls Ahimelech, 
the priest before him and the other priests as well. He calls all his whole family of priests out before him. And then he questions him on it. And Himalach's like, well, you know, he was your servant. I've been blessing him all this time. He's always been a loyal servant to you. I don't think we've done anything wrong. Let's, you know, and he doesn't say this, but he kind of implies. But of course, you know, it was sort of his sword. He killed Goliath. It sort of belonged to him. You know, he kind of implies that he didn't really do anything wrong. And Saul orders the soldiers to kill all the priests. And in one of the greatest rebellions of all time, greatest rebellions that you can find in Scripture, not the greatest, but one of the greatest, um, they refuse. They tell Saul, no, we're not going to kill a priest. That's crazy. So then Saul looks at Doag the Edomite and he says, you kill the priests. Doag's like, sure, he's the king. All the power and the authority, they're not my priests. And so he kills them all. And many priests died that way. In fact, it, it says that Doag killed every priest that wore the linen ephod that day. Out of that, then, David writes a psalm. And that psalm, in it, is the secret to being sustained or choosing sustenance rather than choosing the setup. It's going to surprise you when we, when we read it. I think. Before we do that, we're going to have a little activity. So I need a couple of Shakespearean folks. So if you have read Shakespeare or had kind of liked it even a little bit, or if you like Shakespeare, raise your hand. Okay? So I'll take um, Aaron and Becca. Come up here, please. I wouldn't want to disturb poor Carson. These look so sweet. <laughs> okay? So for the moment... Uh, Becca, you're going to be Gildenstern. You'll have the first line you'll come there. And Aaron, you're going to be Rosencrantz. And I'm going to read Hamlet. Okay? This is a scene from... I'll let you review your... Just while I'm talking, look through so you're ready. Okay? And we're reading the gray half, not the white half. We're going to do the hard way. The easy way is on the right. The hard way is on the left. We're going to read the hard way. Okay? So, this is a scene from Hamlet. Two of Hamlet's friends, and you get a little bit of a background, they're his friends from way back, Gildan, Stern, and Rosencrantz. Hamlet has been out of sorts. And his mother and his stepfather have seen that. Hamlet has actually seen the ghost of his dead father. That's what put him out of sorts. Okay? And so people think maybe Hamlet's going nuts. And he's acting nuts. Maybe, and at this point you think maybe he's acting nuts because they, he just wants everybody to leave him alone. You don't really know what's going on for sure. But they send for his two old friends, Rosencrantz and Gildenstern, to come and speak with him and try to bust him out of a funk. Now, Rosencrantz and Gildenstern are noble sons. They are wealthy men. They are extremely intelligent and crafty men. And they are not really on tap to lead their families, so you could call them kind of like party animals. Okay? That's the kind of characters that we're dealing with. And so these are the kind of guys that, because that's sort of who Hamlet is, he doesn't have anywhere to rule, he's wealthy, he's taken care of, all of his needs are met, and that kind of thing, because that's sort of who they were together. These are the kind of guys that should be able to lift Hamlet out of his dismal situation. Okay? And then now listen to this reading. Okay? You ready? Go. Prison, my lord? Denmark's a prison. Then is the world. A goodly one, in which there are many confines, wards, and dungeons. Denmark being one of the worst. We think not so much. Why, then, tis none to you. For there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. To me, it is a prison. Why, then, your ambition makes it one. Tis too narrow, too narrow for your mind. Oh, God. I could be bounded in a nutshell and count myself a king of infinite space. 
were it not that I have bad dreams. Which dreams indeed are ambition, for the very substance of the ambitions is merely the shadow of a dream? A dream itself is but a shadow. Truly, and I hold ambition of, of so airy and light a quality that it is but a shadow's shadow. Then are our beggars bodies, and our monarchs and outstretched heroes the beggars shadows. Shall we to the court? For by my fay I cannot reason. We'll wait upon you. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. By the way, we'll wait upon you is a phrase that means we'll serve you. Okay? Yes. Um, this scene is very demonstrative of the relationship between Hamlet and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. The outcome of what actually happens is very interesting, specifically speaking to our sermon today. In case you missed the two lines of Hamlet, one he said, well then, tis none to you. In modern terms, it is, well then, it isn't one to you, meaning then uh, Denmark is not a prison to you. Since nothing is really good or bad in itself, it's all what a person thinks about it, and to me, Denmark is a prison. And then later he says, small... No, I could live in a walnut shell and feel like the king of the universe. The real problem is that I have bad dreams. Okay, those are the two lines that sort of speak. Now, grab your Bibles if you would. You knew we were going to get there. Take a deep breath. Maybe even if all you can do is growl today, then do that. Give me a hoot, a holler, amen as we go to Psalm 52. What? This is God's word. As I have told you, this was written on the occasion of, the, of David hearing about the destruction of the house of Ahimelech by Doag the Edomite uh, at the order of Saul. This is what it says, Psalm 52. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Notice the contrast right away between the two verses. So you've got somebody who says they're doing what they want to do. They're doing the bad things, and they're kind of happy about it. It's going well for them. And the contrast that David makes is the loving kindness of God endures all day long. Verse 2. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit. There's your scammer, right? Trying to get ahead, working things so that others suffer and they succeed. Verse 3. You love evil more than good. Falsehood more than speaking what is right. Selah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. But God will break you down forever. Now we're talking about an upsetting, the Lord turning things over. He says, but God will break you down forever. Notice that's not addressed to the deceitful tongue, it's addressed to the person, beginning with, O mighty man, the one who is doing well, if you will. But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent, and uproot you from the land of the living. That's pretty rough words. And the righteous will see and fear. So there is an alternative person talked about here, someone who is doing what's right, rather than getting ahead by doing what's wrong. It says, and righteous will, the righteous will see and fear. Two things the righteous will do. See, you have to be able to see, and fear. You have to be able to recognize that there is a danger here. The third thing, it says, and we'll laugh at him. Now, I know it seems kind of rude to laugh at people when things don't go well for them. 
But notice the, the jest, the joke, the thing that he says that the righteous man will say. He says, saying, verse 7, Behold, the man who would not make God his refuge. So there are those people that are making their own way. They are not trusting in the Lord. They are not submitting to God. and They will not make God their refuge. And in not making God their refuge, they are still finding their way, seem to be doing very good, and they even elevate themselves up over and beyond those who are seeking God as God's refuge. Seeking God's refuge. And when they come crashing down, those who see and fear will laugh. And I submit to you, it's not laughing at them because they are fools, but rather laughing because it's the joy of the Lord. It's the abundance of God's provision now seen that those who seem to be doing so well outside the provision of God now come toppling down. I'll read it again. And the righteous will see and fear and will laugh at him saying, Behold, the man who would not make God his refuge but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desires. See, he was doing very well and he was trusting. He was thinking everything was going to be okay. And he was strong in his evil desire, meaning he was following after what he wanted. He was pursuing the things that he wanted, which on the surface seems like it's okay. But he was doing it outside the refuge of the Lord and that is not okay. Two verses remain in Psalm 52 and we'll come back to them. The first thing I want you to see in this psalm is that clearly sometimes the wicked rise. Sometimes those who are pursuing what they want outside God's refuge, outside God's peace, outside God's measure of success, sometimes those people do very well. Frankly, I was one. Even though I was trapped in my fear and I was inhibited and I didn't want to talk to anybody. I wasn't making any friends and I probably never would have found a wife or if I did find technically a wife by legal standards but we were ruining each other and our marriage and our child. We were ruining our household and our finances. We were destroying everything that we touched with our own bitterness and our own temptations and desires. So it wouldn't have gone well. right? So it was never going to work out. But I was doing so well because I could manipulate, I could get people to do what I wanted them to do. People were volunteering to do what I wanted them to do without me even asking by just kind of saying the right things and plotting. You know, there's a psychological effect. If you slip in certain words, then pretty soon that person will say that word or something that goes along with what you're saying. It's sort of like brainwashing. When I was at Pizza Hut, they taught us the Sullivan nod. You walk up and say, just the two of you today? Wouldn't you like to get a large pizza so you can have something at home? It's a solid nod. They see you nodding. Pretty soon they're nodding. If you nod to them, they nod back. That's what people do. Right? They're like, yeah, and what you think? Yeah, you should get a large pizza to take home, right? Yeah, so we'd have something to take home. That's, that's how you upsell on the same ticket. And it sort of seems like they're doing really, really well. They're getting ahead. They're prospering. Kid yourself not. I, you know, we had a portion of our service day that was really uh, kind of patriotic in nature. We believe we live in a great country. We truly do. Now, the kingdom of God is the great country that we really live in, but we live inside the boundaries of America. We live inside the boundaries of this country. And we think about the, I don't know, what has it been? Millions of people who have given their lives in the pursuit of building a better nation so that we could live here. And many of them did so because they believed in God. They trusted in God. They went to battle trusting in God. Some of them didn't. They went for other reasons. But many of them went trusting in God to build this country that we live in. 
But how many went to war for Syria, trusting in their God? How about the Seven Years' War of Europe? Where they fought, they just kept fighting. The battle just went on and on and on. And they lined up courageously in their fancy uniforms with their musket ball rifles at 100 yards away and said, okay, everybody ready? Aim! And while they were aiming at the enemy, the enemy was aiming back at them at 100 yards. I know they're moderately inaccurate, right? But when they hit, they hurt really, really bad. And they will kill you and you'll die from sepsis if you don't die from the bullet. So it's very deadly. And they courageously stood there and fought for their country. Fighting for your country is not a new thing. People have been doing that. Hundreds of thousands of people were enslaved at one time on a fairly regular basis. When Goliath came out against David, the day that he came out against David, what was the taunt? If your mightiest bank come out and beat me, we'll be your slaves. But if, if I beat him, then you be our slaves. They're all like, nobody can beat Goliath. Oh, we can't beat Goliath. We don't want to be their slaves. We don't want to lose. So we're all just going to stand over here shaking in our boots and hope that the taunt changes, or they get tired and go away, or that we can have an actual battle with regular tactics, which also is terrifying, but at least it won't be losing to this nine-foot-tall guy, right? It's been going on since the beginning of countries. People have been sacrificing their lives for these, and they didn't get the freedom. They didn't get... Now, for a while, they rose up. The great empire of Rome that controlled the majority, the vast majority of the, of the civilized world, and they were fairly enlightened. For citizens of Rome, they had great freedoms. You were allowed to worship any god you wanted. Judaism was protected under the Roman government. You could be a Jew. You didn't have to worship Caesar. If you got citizenship, if you were taken over your country, agreed to be part of Rome, then you had all kinds of rights. And it was a huge country where millions, when the Spartans went up, you, know, you ever hear about the Spartans' shield? The Spartans' pledge was come back with your shield or on it. If you dropped your shield when you stood up as a Spartan, you were considered a coward because you were abandoning not only yourself, but the men with you. And the mothers would tell their sons as they were going out to battle, come back with your shield or on it. The mothers would tell their sons. There's been much courage and much fighting all the time. And countries have risen and been great and fallen. And our country, America, the United States of America, can do the very same thing, though millions of men have fought to keep that from happening. In fact, in some way, as sad as it is, many of the ideals that we hold true are falling. The country's not falling, but many of the ideals that we hold to are falling, and that's terrible. People begin to rise, and there's a moment in time that if they do it outside God's provision, things change. That's what we just read in Psalm 52, beginning when he said, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? Flip to Psalm 92. Not far, same section of the Bible right there in the middle. Flip to Psalm 92. Psalm 92 beginning in verse 5. This is a song that they kind of used to sing or chant or whatever during their Sabbath. And it, How great are thy works, O Lord! Thy thoughts are very deep. A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this. Listen closely to these next verses, please. If you get nothing else out of what I'm saying today, listen closely to these next verses, because they will save you from being set up. Verse 7. That when the wicked sprouted up like grass, and all who did iniquity, that means didn't do what God wanted them to do, flourished, they did very well, 
it was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. You hear that? This is what David said. God set up the wicked. God allowed them to be blessed in their own strength. God allowed them to do good things that blessed themselves, blessed their family, built their house beer, got a better job, got the promotion, got more money. Put it in whatever context you want. If he, David wrote, when the wicked sprouted up like grass and all who did iniquity flourished, it was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. Verse 8, but thou, O Lord, art on high forever. For behold, thine enemies, O Lord, for behold, thine enemies will perish and who... All who do iniquity will be scattered. But thou hast exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil, and my eye has looked exultantly, that means lifted up, upon my foes. My ears hear of the evildoers who rise up against me. We know what's going on. We're not stupid. We see the tactics. I hope you're paying attention. There are some very real, very large, very seductive enemies to our way of life, to freedom, etc., that are present in our world. And it's not new. John wrote 2,000 years ago, I tell you, the Antichrists have gone out into the world already. This is not new. There is nothing new under the sun. But a well-developed tactic just might be afoot. 12 says, The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green. Listen. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Before you look at somebody who seems to be doing very well and they're a liar or a cheat. Before you look at somebody who seems to be getting ahead and they're giving God about half his due. They profess him with their mouth, but they're not giving, serving, loving, working to spread the gospel, whatever. Maybe they're not worshiping God as part of the local church body, or they're not serving others outside their immediate nuclear family. They're not doing, and, and then, you know, you find actually that they might be kind of rough with their children and not sweet to their wife or not sweet to their husband, right? So, but they seem to be getting ahead. People working lots of hours, people making lots of money, whatever. People getting better places to live and better vehicles and they seem to just sort of be getting away with it. Don't kid yourself. God is righteous and he is on the throne. You see a nation on the rise. And a country is doing very well despite the fact that they have ungodly behaviors as part of who they are. Don't kid yourself. God is righteous. When you see an ideal rising up, whether it be in this country or another, and there are countries in the world that are now suffering under some of the same things, arguments that we are facing today in our country, they're suffering over there. They did it 20 years ago, and now they're going, oh, woe is us. When we dissolved the family, when we broke up marriages, when we redefined all of these things, when we gave place to all of these ideas that are not godly ideas, we literally disbanded and destroyed our country. And we know that we've done that now. And they're just trying to pick up the scraps and making the best out of what they have. Barely getting by. Countries that were just as great and thousands of years old, thousands of years older than the United States of America, gave place to certain ideals. And, and then those people seemed to prosper for a time. And the country seemed to prosper under those ideals for a time. And then now they're suffering for it. And let us not kid ourselves, whether we individually, our family, our church, our state, our country. When you step out from underneath the provision of God, 
and you go your own way, if you are rich, if you are strong, if you are smart, if God has blessed you with many gifts, if you are a successful, whatever profession you might be, and you seem to be doing good for a while, David writes, and he writes it with absolute certainty, that when the wicked, when those who are in iniquity, that when those who do not seek out the provision of God, and we'll come back to what it looks like to do it to not be set up, but when those people don't do that, God is setting them up. You've heard an old saying, oh, how the mighty have fallen, right? And it's kind of a jest about how somebody said, well, I'll, I'll never make this mistake in this area. And the next thing you know, they made a horrible mistake that totally ruined that area for them for the rest of their life. And they were pridefully saying, I'll never make a mistake, right? Or you got somebody who is getting wealthy and rich and off the stock market or getting really financially strong and owning their, their area of expertise and then... They make several bad decisions or they do something illegal or immoral or whatever. They either wind up in prison or they wind up broke, right? And people say, oh, how the mighty have fallen. You know why people say, oh, how the mighty have fallen? Because outside God, the mighty fall. Because God is setting them up. What you have to ask yourself is, are you a person who is willing to be set up? What would that look like? Of you're tricky, deceitful. You're pulling the wool over the eyes of the people around you. You're really not godly. You really don't want to do the things God wants you to do. You don't have a servant's heart. You're not loving and kind. You're pulling the wool over the eyes of the people around you, and you're getting ahead doing that. Even as you sit here today, you're making me feel like, in all honesty, you're making me feel like you have a genuine interest in what God's Word says, and you want to grow as a Christian. You're part of New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church or attending New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church because you say you want to reach New Heights in Jesus. That's what you say. But if you say that and that's not what you actually want, then that hypocrisy is making you look better in the eyes of the people around you even right now. And then don't kid yourself because if that is what's happening, God is setting you up. It's the same in countries, it's the same in families, it's the same in an individual life. Would you trade your eternity with God for financial success now? Because if you would, hear me now, if you would trade your success in eternity with God for financial success in life, God will make that trade with you. So no, 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 wait, no, no, God would never do that. God's a good God. God's a loving God. God will make that trade with you. God is willing to set you up if you are willing to be set up. If your desire is to get ahead, to be stronger, to be happier with what you're capable of, to have a better place to live, to have more resources at your disposal, if you'll pull back your tithe, if you'll pull back your service, if you'll work a few extra hours on the job rather than thinking about how you'd be a blessing to your family or to the family of Christ. If you'll do that, God is willing to set you up. You say, I just can't, I just can't buy that. You're making God out to sound tricky. God is not tricky. You know that the best scams there ever are, you know who asks for the sale? The person being scammed. The con artist learns you never, ever, ever ask anybody to give you money. Never, ever, ever ask anybody to buy anything. Because here's how it goes down. 
I've been talking with my friend Joe, and him and I are going to put in a million dollars each, and we're going to buy some stock. We've got, a, we've got a surefire thing. It's going to gain 10% in a year. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, and then you see them again the next week, and they're like, yeah, Joe and I both put our million bucks in. We're good to go. We did get, we, got a, we had an opportunity to do more, but that's all we could do. We're going to gain 10, 10% in a year. We're like, that's $100,000. We feel pretty good about that. All we could do was $2 million. Well, that's awesome. Good for you. And you meet them again the next week. Yeah, we, we bought the stock. It's in place. Broker asked us if we wanted to do more. Pretty soon, the guy's like, hey, you know, why don't I chip in a million? You said there was room, right? I'll chip in a million. We'll all make 10%. Now, the mark just asked to be involved. Uh, I don't know. You might have to pay a late fee because we're getting, you're getting in late. I mean, think you might only make like 7% on your money instead of 10 now because it's going to be a late fee. It's, uh, how much a late fee? Well, it's about 3% of the minutes. So it's going to be a million, uh, million 30,000 you're going to have to pay instead of just straight mill. Um, I, I don't think that's for you. You better not. No, please, please let me pay the million 30. I want to get in 7%. I'm not, it's better than I'm getting anywhere else. Please, please let me get in at a million 30. I'll do it. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him about it. I'll get back with you. I'll let you know. A week later, it's like, yeah, we can do it, but it's got to be tomorrow. They did tell us it'd have to be tomorrow. Okay, I'll, I'll have to check. It's, it's got to be certified funds. You've got to pay in certified funds because the guy won't take the money otherwise. Yeah, okay, I'll be there with a million thirty tomorrow. Certified funds. As soon as I sign it, you'll have the money. Just make sure it gets where it's got to go. God's not tricky. He's just smarter than us. God's not tricky. He just understands the way the world works better than we do. God's not tricky. God loves you so much he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. And if you'll spit on that, then he'll let you have the just rewards for spitting on that. You see, Jesus did not come to condemn people. But rather, they are condemned already by what they do with the son of God. Well, what do they do? They try to get ahead outside the provision of God. All right, so... I think it's pretty clear and obvious that the Lord has said through Psalm 52 and Psalm 92 that there is a setup. The setup is those who are mighty, those who are deceitful, those who are in iniquity, they, they do well. But how, how great is their fall when the time comes? One more uh, little passage of Scripture in support of this, and we're going to go to Isaiah. 22. There's only two points in the sermon today and a conclusion, so that will come as a uh, slight variance from what we need to do. So Isaiah 22 says this, beginning in verse 15. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Come go to this steward, to Shebna, who is in charge of the royal household. So now, God is telling Isaiah a prophecy for a specific person, Shebna. You hear it? What right do you have here and whom do you have here that you have hewn a tomb for yourself here? So Shebna had done something, hewn a tomb. He's made himself a position to be buried in when he dies. He's given himself a position amongst maybe people who were better than him. He's, he's a little uppity, let's just say. You who hew a tomb on the height you who carve a resting place for yourself in the rock, question mark. Behold, the Lord is about to hurl you headlong, O man, and he is about to grasp you firmly and roll you tightly like a ball to be cast into a vast country. There you will die, and there your splendid chariots will be, you shame of your master's house. Ouch! 
That's bad enough, isn't it? A prophecy directed at Shebna that God was, is going to basically roll him up like a ball and cast him into a vast country and there he would die despite his splendid chariots, which is sort of representing his power. Verse 19 says, and I will depose you from your office. He's going to take away his station. And I will, put you, I will pull you down from your station. Then it will come about in that day, now this sounds good, that I will summon my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And I will clothe him with your tunic. Okay, so now uh, this guy is going to be elevated. So we've got a guy that's going to be torn down. And now the story sort of begins to take a positive turn, right? He's going to be elevated. Eliakim is going to be lifted up into his place. And I will clothe him with your tunic and tie your sash securely about him. And I will entrust him with your authority. So he's really going to get his place. And he will become a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. Wow! This guy's going to get it all. When he opens what he opens, no one will shut. When he shuts, no one will open. Now that's a pretty interesting kind of metaphor there for Christianity, if you think about it, right? But look at how elevated this guy is now going to be. He's going to have all that position, all that authority, and in David's house, whatever he opens, no one will shut, and whatever he shuts, no one will open. He says, and I will drive him like a peg in a firm place, and he will become a throne of glory to his father's house. Wow, God is going to lift him up to a mighty station, isn't he? What an amazing thing is about to happen in the life of Eliakim. What a great prophecy. 24 says, so they will hang on him all the glory of his father's house, offspring and issue all the least of vessels from the bowls to all the jars. Man, he's going to have it all. And in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg driven in a firm place will give way. Oh, wait, what did, what did it say? God will make him into everything great. He's going to give him all that. And then it says, in, and he's going to make him a peg driven in a firm place. And then he says, in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, the peg driven in a firm place will give way. It will even break off and fall and the load hanging on it will be cut off for the Lord has spoken. So first you got Shebna who raised himself up in his own authority and God is going to ball him up and throw him into a foreign country and he's going to die there. That's pretty bad imagery. And then God is going to take Eliakim and raise him up in his place and give him all of his authority. And I submit to you much more. Make him a peg driven in a firm place. He will be solid. And then God is going to take that peg driven in a firm place and cast it away. And everybody that hangs on it, all that hangs on it, will fall. What are the lessons here? You want to be set up? God will set you up. And then people will worship you. People will think you are awesome. People will follow you. People will submit to you and your authority. People will do what you want them to do. And then God will pull that peg from a firm place and cast it away and you will be gone. You will crash down the greatest and mightiest crash that you can imagine. You've not even seen it. I've not even seen it. And the people that worshipped you, the people that followed you, the people that wanted to come after you, the people that were in your sphere of influence, they will have nothing. They'll be desperate. They'll be searching. They'll be looking. They'll be grasping on to movements and fancy sayings and slogans and jargon and psychological tricks. They'll be grasping on to whatever. 
because they'll be falling. And that's what people do when they're falling. They grasp onto whatever they can. But what they're supposed to grasp onto, what was missing from the equation from the very beginning, is God. Shevna was supposed to follow God. He was supposed to follow his provision, find his provision in God. You and I are supposed to follow God. Your pastor cannot get you there. Your Sunday school teacher cannot get you there. Your governor cannot get you there. No movement can get you there. No commandments can get you there. No rules can get you there. Your strength, your smart, your money, your time, your talents, your relationships, nothing can get you there. At best, it will get you somewhere, and then your somewhere will be taken away from you so that others can see that nothing can get you there. Back to Psalm 52 and those two verses that we held off on. And then we come to the conclusion. So we're doing good. Psalm 52. Verse 8. But as for me, David says, But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. That means he had the provision of the Lord. I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. That means he, means he knows no matter how much somebody else puts up another lifestyle, no matter somebody, how somebody gives you resources or somebody pays you to do what's wrong or you get ahead by illicit gain of any kind, he says, no, I trust in the loving kindness of, the go, of, the, of God forever and ever. I will give thee the thanks forever because thou hast done it. See, even those who are rising up and they seem to be doing great in their mightiness and they're achieving, they're getting ahead financially, etc., but they're not doing it in the provision of the Lord. Who's actually doing it? Who made you? Who planted the trees? Who gave the sun and the rain a light? You can't grow crops without that. Who gave you everything you have? God is the one who actually done it. And David said, I will give thee thanks forever because thou hast done it and I will wait on thy name for it is good in the presence of thy godly ones. You come here today professing to want to know what God wants from you. I've told you that if you're willing, God will set you up. I ask you in the Lord to be unwilling. You say to God, instead of I want to prosper or I want to do well or I want to get ahead, you say to God, I want to be yours. I want to trust in you. Instead of like the wicked guy who says, I don't need God's refuge. God doesn't have to protect me. God is a crutch for a cripple. And I'm not a cripple. I don't need a crutch. And how arrogant and how prideful and how mighty they will become. You will become. If that's the avenue which you take. But after you're set up nice and high, it'll be God, the God that puts you there, that takes you out. You need to master your tongue and give praise to God. You need to see things for what they really are. Nothing's free except salvation. There is work to be done. 
And when you get saved, there is still work to be done. Ephesians 2 says, works that He has set aside for us to do. Instead of being busy finding the works that God has set aside for us to do, we're doing the works that will prosper us. Any one of us might be considered a mighty man. The fact is we're doing very, very well. We're ahead of the game. We've been blessed. But kid yourself not. The last seven amazing things that happened to you. The last five great victories in the Lord. God can take them all. The last three times you had a sort of a, an inspiration to do just the right thing and it worked out. God can take that. The last one time you said, God, I can barely get by. I just need you to help me. And he did. God can take that. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And when Job had had everything taken from him, there was just one thing left. Trusting in the loving kindness of the Lord. And that one thing qualified him not only to rise out of the pit of ashes, not only to heal the sores on his body, not only to stop scraping himself with a pot shirt, not only to stop enduring the the silly language and all the talking and teaching of his friends who supposedly came to comfort him, not only that, not only to get his wife to stop saying to him, oh, just curse God and die, your life is so horrible. Not only that, but not only replace all of his sons and daughters, and you really can't replace a son and daughter, I understand that, but he had so many more sons and daughters, and he prospered so much more and was so much more successful than everything that he lost. Not only that, but when it came right down to it, those guys who came to him to teach him about God, God said to him, God said to them who came to teach him about God, he said, you go to my servant Job and ask him to pray for you. Because it was Job and Job alone the trust and the loving kindness of the Lord even through the worst of times. All that you have done, He has actually done. And if He can give it, He can take it. If you are a tent peg in a firm place, if you are a peg in a firm place of any kind, He can take your firm place He can pluck you from it and ball it up and throw it into a foreign country where you will die. And talking spiritually, we're talking about potentially out of the kingdom of God. God is capable. God is wise. God is powerful. And in the end, God wins. You know how it says in Scripture that there will be two in the field, both tending the field? And one will be taken, and one will be left. There will be two people who are working their butt off, trying to do better, and one will be taken, and one will be left. And the one that will be taken, the one that God will take home, the one that God will bring to the end, the one that God will have for an eternity in heaven with Him, that'll be the one that's trusting in God's loving kindness to the end, who sees the scams who fears falling for them and fears using them to get ahead and instead would live righteously before the Lord. In God's power, you can't do it without Him. You can't live unrighteously without Him and you can't live righteously without Him. That has not changed just because you got saved. The only thing that did change is the fact that you can be right. You can be born again. And that those who are born again are winning. And if you are winning, you can suffer for your winning looking forward to the ultimate victory. But if you can't trust that you're winning, it doesn't surprise me that you would try to work on your own behalf outside the provision of the Lord, do the best you can. And you might even do really, really good. I look around, I see really smart, 
really creative, really capable individuals, every single one in this room. And you can set yourself up and think that you're doing something, but actually it's God who's setting you up. And then you could be outside the provision of God and you could lose it all. Say, well, I'm doing so well. I, I don't have COVID. I'm doing so well. I, I, my income hasn't stopped. I'm doing so well. I haven't been unemployed. I'm doing so well. I have things that I'm doing and, and I'm strong enough and, I, and I'm getting by. I mean, it's hard sometimes, but I, I'm getting by. I'm making it. I'm not going hungry. I'm doing good. There's people that are going hungry. And you can look at your situation and see how awesome your life is. You can even count your blessings and say, I'm doing great. But if you're not trusting in the ongoing provision of God, in His loving kindness, beyond what you see with your eyes, beyond what you hear with your ears, if the Lord is not your refuge, then you have no refuge at all. Because all the other forms of refuge are refuge from God. And He is mightier than that. Last verses, illustration, and we're through. Second Peter. The verses come from Second Peter. If you want to read along, you're welcome to go. Second Peter. I'll be there in a second. Ah, I'll be there in a second. Peter, second. Second Peter. Chapter 3. Beginning in verse 10. First part we know fairly well. Maybe at least you know the teaching if you don't know the word. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In other words, if God's going to pull the, tent, the pegs out for all these people, if God's going to do away with managing crops and paying bills, if God's going to do away with vehicles and hobbies and God's going to do it with all of that. He's going to do it with, that, with all the things that people are using to comfort themselves today. He's going to do it with, away with all of them. What sort of people ought you to be in ho holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt in intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I love Jesus. And I want to see everybody come to Jesus. But the truth is, they're burning this world down. The lost, the wicked, those in iniquity, they're burning this world down. And you and I can't stop them. And it's not even our job to try to stop them. It's our job to trust in the loving kindness of the Lord, to present the gospel and the opportunity to do the same to anyone who will listen. While we expect that all of this, somebody's upset about an icon, somebody's upset about pollution, somebody's upset about a hole in the ozone layer, somebody's upset about civil rights, somebody, everybody's upset about something. There's only one thing you really need to be upset about. And that is that the largest percentage that possibly still could be are on their way to hell and going to burn for an eternity. And you and I have the cure. And it's Jesus. Anything else you're upset about, let it go. Because eventually everything else you're upset about is going to be burned up and gone. Including your body. Including your mind as you know it. 
Because it's all going to be regenerated. It's all going to start fresh. Everything is going to be gone. What are you upset about? Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved, Paul, our beloved brother Paul, according to his wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of all these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, listen to this, to their own destruction. Because they are pegs in a firm place, but it won't last. God will tear them up, and in some cases he will ball them up and throw them into another kingdom where they will be destroyed. Remember we had our opening illustration, Gildenstern and Rosencrantz. If you don't know Hamlet, then you don't know what happened to them. Gildenkrantz and Ro Gildenstern and Rosencrantz, I sometimes mess up the second syllables. Gildenstern and Rosencrantz, as I said, were party partiers. They were Hamlet's friend from way back. They were second sons or first sons in their household. They were wealthy. They were doing very well. And the king and the queen of Denmark came to ask them to visit him. A little while later, the king gives them an order. He tells them to take a message from him. And they know what's in the message. They to take a message from him to the king, I think it's of England. And the message is to kill Hamlet. And in their pride, and in their arrogance, and in their wealth, and in their success, and in their loyalty to a king who killed his successor to become king, for all the reason and all the logic and whatever, they take the message to kill their friend. Except just before the boat is to set sail, or maybe just after, Hamlet sneaks aboard the boat, and he swaps the message out for a message to kill Gildenstern and Rosencrantz. And so when they arrive there, they deliver their own message and are killed. That's the end of mighty men, tricky men, capable men, manipulating men, wealthy men, all men who do not seek the provision of the Lord. They had it all. We're called upon just to be a friend and try to draw him out of depression. And then while they were at the court, the king says, well, it's not going to work. He's causing a lot of trouble. I want you to take this message over there and have him killed. But he figured it out. Are you smart enough to beat literally every human alive? Are you smart enough to beat every problem you could possibly ever face? Are you wealthy enough? Could you earn enough money? What if cancer comes? What if it's stage four? What if you're in a horrible car accident because a semi goes left of center? What, what will be of your trickery then? What will be of your capabilities then? For those of you who don't treat your spouses right, or if you have one, what if they leave you? What will you use then? For those of you who don't have a spouse, and you're searching, you're thinking, you're, you're on a date, or you're interested, what if you run into somebody and they seem good, but you just don't know, really, do you? And then you marry them, and they wind up being that person that's just absolutely the wrong person, and then your married life is horrible. But God knows tomorrow. What if you steal the tithe for 10 years, and it's never a problem, and then finally, 
He pulls your peg and throws you into a foreign nation to die. And all your shiny chariots, how will they help you then? Only God is God. And we must trust His loving kindness and we must do it every day. And a righteous man does fall down. But every time he gets back up, and it's God that gets him up. And for those who seem to be doing well outside the Lord, don't look at them and go, oh, I wish I had. Oh, I could be like them. Don't listen to their taunts. Don't listen to their scams. Don't buy into their rhetoric. Don't believe in alternative lifestyles to what God professes. Because though they may do okay for a while, it's God that's setting them up. And then when God tears them down, all those people who are following that mess, they'll be desperate, finally desperate. And just maybe they'll clutch onto God. Like I'm asking that we would do today. Will you clutch onto God and trust Him alone? His loving kindness, His glory, His name will be great amongst His people. Let me pray for you. And during our prayer, we'll have a bit of an invitation. And then we'll be